0: Good evening. How are y'all tonight? I've promised Susan I'm going to stay on script, so that's the only non-scripted thing I'm going to say. Uh, my name is Rick Howard. This is my wife, Michelle. Um, we've been married since July of 1996, so that's, that's 20 years that we just celebrated if you're counting. Uh, uh, we have three sons, Will, Ryan, and Ben. Um, Our presence tonight on stage at ReEngage is another example of the, be careful what you say to folks on staff at Watermark. Uh, From a casual conversation I had with Susan about three years ago about some lessons Michelle and I have learned during our marriage came a, hey, you ought to share that at ReEngage sometime to a, hey, when are you going to share that at ReEngage deal? So here we sit kind of sharing a little bit of our experience with this couch on the stage with us. Our hope in the time we have is that we share a little bit about our marriage, the journey we've been on for about 20 years, and also some practical lessons you might apply to your own marriage and family. As a starting point, just so you don't think that we are a product of perfect marriages, we thought we'd share a little of our own respective family stories. I'm going to go first, since my family story is really far too common and uh, really pretty simple. I, I grew up in sort of the classic undivorced home in South Georgia. I say undivorced really on purpose because... That really is what my parents' relationship was and still is after 58 years of marriage. Uh, in spite of um, spending a lifetime in church, my parents never pursued anything more than just a typical cultural marriage. Uh, last month, on their 58th anniversary, it passed literally without celebration or fanfare. They had forgotten what it was until my wife, my sister texted them to remind them it was her anniversary. So nothing, not even a dinner out at Luby's. Uh, they never divorced. They've never even really considered it. However, they also never worked on their marriage. They never sought counsel from others um, to help them move towards oneness in marriage. They never strive to love each other the way Paul describes in Ephesians 5, sort of selflessly as Christ loved the church. Uh, and they frankly never attempted to resolve any of the past conflicts that have built up over the last 58 years. So as a result of my family story, I brought into marriage um, what we would call an extreme case of, what I, what I would call an extreme case of do whatever the opposite of my parents was. Um, whether it was dealing with conflict or money or kids or a host of other really common issues, my instinct was to consider what my folks' response would be and do exactly the opposite of it. Um, In hindsight, that wasn't the best approach to use early on to develop a healthy marriage. But in the early years, I just kind of figured, hey, this is better than the model that I had. Um, Over time, however, it really became clear that if I had to find a better way to share life with Michelle, if my marriage was going to be what God intended it to be and if I was going to be something different than my parents' marriage looked like.
1: So I want you to take a look at this picture on the screen because it depicts the craziness of life for us and for most couples that we know. Kids are the center of the marriage, and everything works around their needs, their wants, and their schedules, while the parents are separated by, uh, from each other by the lives they set up for their kids. So like Rick said, we have three sons. Uh, ben is a seventh grader, Will is a ni- or Ryan's a ninth grader, and uh, Will is an 11th grader at Lake Highlands. And every day we can fill it with a lot of activities. We have sports, we have band, choir, small groups, church service, and a host of other good kid uh, and commitments, good kid stuff and other commitments that compete with our time together as a couple. Add that to the mix, I'm a third grade teacher and Rick's busy work schedule and quality time for us becomes even more precious and hard to come by. How we've been able to move from a child-centered marriage to a coupled-centered one is what led us to be here tonight to talk to you because the former was not what we wanted our home to look like. As with Rick, my approach to this issue starts with my parents' home. I came from the exact opposite home life that Rick did. My family had its own challenges, but the one thing my parents modeled for me was for how a husband and a wife could be best friends. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but my parents loved each other in a way that I know honored God. One of my fondest memories growing up was each morning walking into the den in my family home and seeing my parents sitting together with their cup of coffee by my dad's roll top desk, and they were talking. They did this every morning without fail. They were also great about taking trips together each year without kids and having regular date nights. Until the day my dad died in 2003, my parents were best friends. So the model I brought into marriage was one of making time together a priority each day, and that was my expectation for marriage. Rick and I dated for six months before getting engaged, and we married six months later in July of 1996, as he said. He was 32, and I was 26 when we got married, so we were not a young and naive couple that thought marriage was just an extension of a honeymoon. Thankfully, we were in a really good church with an excellent premarriage class like Watermark's Merge class, and we had an excellent pastor who counseled us a half a dozen times before we were married. We were prepared as much as we could be for marriage and both feel like we went into marriage with eyes wide open. Early on, spending time together was easy because it was just the two of us. We had opportunities to travel and were for for the most part free to do whatever we wanted to do as a couple. There was no need for a formal plan of hanging out because there were a few distractions and interruptions. The one major obstacle to spending time together for us was my chronic migraines. Uh, when we for, first were married, I would have two to three migraines a week. They were so severe and would make me so sick that I would go to bed for the night when I got one. And because of that, we were, there were several nights in a week that we did not spend time together.
0: So four years into marriage, our oldest son, Will, was born in April of 2000. Um, really, other than increased fatigue and Michelle's new role as a stay-at-home mom, The birth of our first child didn't alter our ability to hang out together consistently because, frankly, he was sleeping most of the time or in bed early as as he got a little older. Even when we added our second son, Ryan, 23 months later, we were still able to carve out time together. The boys were in bed by 8 p.m. most nights. Their interruptions were typically limited limited to eating and cleaning up. But over the next few months, our lives would change dramatically as Michelle unexpectedly got pregnant with our third son, Ben. Um, That was great news, except if you do the math, you realize that... We had a 27-month-old and a four-month-old at the time. Um, so we could already see from friends we had that had multiple um, small children that this was going to be a, a huge change for us as we moved from parenting man-to-man to parenting in his own defense. <laughs> in March of 2003, when Michelle was about seven months, old, or seven months pregnant with Ben, um, her dad was diagnosed with, young, with lung cancer, um, completely out of the blue. Three weeks later, he passed away. And our very, very orderly life was rocked by his death. Um, This was a tremendous shock for Michelle because she had a very close relationship with her dad and because of the suddenness of his death. You combine that with, we've got a new baby coming in two months. Um, We we were about to start the most challenging um, time we've ever experienced in our marriage. After Ben was born in June of 2003, so two months after her dad died, Michelle battled postpartum issues along with depression from the loss of her dad. And to some extent, really the loss of her mom as well as her mom struggled with grief over the loss of her husband. Add to that the fact that we had three babies that were now 37 months apart, demanding time, energy, heart, and Michelle was really um, reeling emotionally, excuse me. As a result, our kind of easily arranged nights together became a struggle to carve out time alone. Our time really became the kids' time, and it seems like all we did was care for kids, go to bed, get up the next day, do it all over again, and had the feeling of a movie called Groundhog Day. On top of that, Michelle's grief from the loss of her dad really lingered with us for a couple of years. And during this period, our marriage really was challenged more than ever before. And at the top of that list of challenges was the absence of time together. We had no plan for how to change this, and that left us really unsure what our next step should be.
1: I. I mean, I can see those days right now and just remember how hard and challenging they were for us. Rick and I struggled to communicate well and to spend time together, and for the first time, we really saw how hard marriage could be and how much work it took for us to stay close. God calls us to love our spouse above everyone else, and that was really hard. Many times when he came home, I felt like a pressure cooker, just waiting to release the valve on top. Grief migraines and babies were all an emotional strain on me that would not go away. Around this time, our community group decided to do a parenting class, and it was during this class when we first heard the term couch time. The idea behind it was when the husband comes home from work, the wife gets the first quality interaction with dad, uh, rather than with dad, how did I say that? The wife gets the first quality interaction with dad rather than the kids. For us, it was a reminder that aside from pointing them to Christ, the most important thing we could give our boys was a strong marriage. Practically speaking, what it meant for us was when he got home from work, Rick would walk in the door, give the boys a hug, and then he would immediately come find me and engage with me and just interact and ask me how my day was for the first 15 minutes or so. After my day for caring with kids, it was so nice to sit and talk with him and to have an adult conversation, to tell him about my day, and to reconnect with my best friend. For us, that 15 minutes of couch time was a metaphor for time together. It might be him sitting on the kitchen counter while I cooked dinner, or sitting at the kitchen table and talking. Over time, it evolved to even more time after the boys were in bed around 8.30, We would spend the evening together, usually on the couch in our den. Sometimes we would watch TV, discuss things that we needed to talk about, or simply share what was on our hearts that day. The goal was to be together. We also learned from those conversations the importance of touch points during the day with phone calls and texts. What our our boys saw in this over time was how important our marriage was to us, so important that our time together as a couple was a priority over everything else.
0: So as our boys got older, the world began to creep more and more into our lives. We recovered from the loss of Michelle's dad and the stress of having three babies in three years. But as we exited the baby stage of life, we entered the world of kids' activities. So having grown up in a small town in an era when the sports I played were based on the season of the year, so football in the fall and basketball in the winter and baseball in the spring, um, uh, and where overcommitted meant you had piano lessons to go with your sports, The pace of normal childhood in Dallas was really shocking for us. Friends with older kids said, hey, your boys need to start playing sports as early as three or four years old or they won't have a team to play on. They also said, hey, every kid's got to play multiple sports even if they overlapped. And, of course, you got to take private lessons and be on a select team if your kid's ever going to have a chance to play high school sports or or college and get a scholarship. Um, At the same time, I was also making a huge job change as I left my law practice of 16 years and I ended up joining Watermark staff to lead our international ministry efforts. This one-two punch of increased time pressure created big challenges to our commitment to spend couch time together every day because as we walked through kids' activity minefield, we also encountered the challenges of transitioning from law to ministry. All I knew about being a missions pastor was how to get lawyers to the country of Congo and back safely. (laughs) Yeah, it begs the question, how'd I get hired, I know. My job at Watermark, I quickly discovered, was much bigger than that, and, and my initial response, frankly, was not uh, was a huge miss. As my natural tendency to work as much as needed to get the job done without regard for anything else kicked in. As a lawyer for 16, 16 years, unless I had a big jury trial coming up, my work time was at the office during the day. I knew how to be a lawyer, so work didn't typically follow me home. But after this job change, my typical workday became heading to Watermark about 6 a.m., heading home about 6 p.m., giving Michelle and the boys two, what I would say, is very unpurposeful hours before bedtime. And then as soon as they were in bed, out came the laptop and back to work I went. When our oldest was the only one playing sports, the impact of boys' activities was manageable. But as we added Ryan and Ben's activities to this mix, it really got busy really fast. We decided that if we let all three play multiple sports at the same time, Our couch time would be submerged in this sea of practice and games and kids' activities. Alone time, family dinner, spontaneous fun would all go out the window for us for months at a time if we embraced what seemed to be the norm for kids this age. So in spite of what many of us were doing, many around us were doing, we put limits on our boys' activities. We said one sport and one activity at a time. With three boys, we were going to be busy because there's three of them. No matter what we did, but our decision to limit what the boys were doing allowed us to make our time together as a couple and with them as a family a priority above other things. This decision involved uh, solved part of our time together problem as we used those limits to build into our couch time. But what it did not cure was my obsession with work at Watermark, frankly. So after about nine months of me working all day at the office and then jumping back into work at night after the boys went bed, went to bed, Michelle one night announced to me, this is not what I signed up for. What she was really saying was, I liked you a lot better as a lawyer. Um, and that was a wake-up call for me. It reminded, as it reminded me, Michelle did not just want my presence. She wanted my attention. It was clear that that was not what was happening while I was obsessing over my new role at Watermark. With the help of community, with my staff team, we worked through those challenges, and we developed a plan that protected our couch time and allowed me to be faithful to my job as well.
1: One of the things this couch time has modeled for our boys is that our marriage is the most important relationship in our house. The boys know that we love them dearly and that they are a gift to us, but they know that Rick and I love each other more. We want to model this for them so that they have the same expectation and model going into marriage. Rick leads our home well in the way he loves me and he cares for me. He tells the boys, I love you, but I love your mom more. They understand that this doesn't mean he has a lesser kind of love for them, but that God calls him to love me more deeply than the way he loves our sons. I love the verse from First Peter 4, 8 that says, Above all... And above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And isn't that what we want to be about, loving our spouse deeply? Isn't that what we want our kids to see? Apart from Christ, there is nothing good in me, absolutely nothing. And Rick married a sinner just like himself. When I love Rick the way Christ wants me to love, it is much bigger than the way I want to love. I'm so thankful for the way he loves me in spite of who I am.
0: So as Michelle and I met with Susan uh, a couple years ago in preparation for the first time we gave this talk, one of her questions for us was, "What about what about your spiritual walk?" And in some ways, that question was easy, and the answer was very predictable. Michelle and I have spent a lot of time before and during our marriage alone in God's Word. We've been discipled um, by great folks around here. We've taken advantage of the many opportunities to be equipped at Watermark and outside ministries like BSF. So the answer to Susan's question was pretty simple. We would both say we have really strong relationships with the Lord. We can see how much stronger our relationship is, and we can see how much stronger our relationship is when we abide with Christ. John 15, 5 reminds us that he is the vine and we are the branches, and apart from him we can do nothing. I don't know about any other area of my life where this verse rings truer than my marriage. For, uh, For us to love each other well in spite of our flaws and our shortcomings, most of them mine, is nothing short of miraculous. We have found during our marriage that when we are not abiding individually with Christ, we suffer as a couple and our boys suffer as well. But Susan was also looking for some insight into our walk together with Christ. And I hate to say that abiding, with, uh, abiding as a couple has always been a weakness in our marriage. In 20 years of marriage, we've really never fully found the secret sauce of spiritual intimacy together. We pray together with our boys as a family. We talk about what we're learning in God's word in separate quiet times and studies. We grab prayer when things pop up. But we've never been as consistent in spending time in God's word or prayer away from, together with, uh, in God's word or prayer away from our kids. So if you ask me where we always are trying to take ground, this would be the area I would, I would list first. As the world rushes towards us faster and faster and faster, the need for prayer for our marriage, for our kids, the friends that they're involved with and in their future And the lost folks that God's put in our path grows each day.
1: So we want to show you one more picture. The first picture we showed depicted the craziness of life when we let the world control our home. uh, Boys and their lives in the middle and us on the outside. This picture shows the perspective we strive for and need to have. Our marriage is the center of our family and the kids are the addition. Rick and I can create oneness by spending time together. As a wife, I'm drawn more to Rick when I spend time with him. I feel like we are connected deeply as we share our hearts with each other. We are facing the reality that our oldest, Will, will be going off to college in two years. We are a lot closer to an empty nest than to bringing our first kid home from the hospital. Rick and I have to continue spending this time together because we, w- we still want to be best friends when our boys start to live their lives apart from us. Our marriage is a ministry, and spending time together keeps us focused on God's calling for our marriage.
0: So no matter how we plan this out, whenever we have a chance to tell our story, there's always lots, of, lots left on the cutting floor. There are folks in this room that know us well, and they are thinking, you guys left a lot out of this story. That's because they know the imperfections that we brought to marriage our character, our personalities. They know how often I've been known, how I've often been known more for sarcastic humor than for being a man after God's own heart. They know how, short, how being short-tempered and sharp-toned with my family is, um, most, is my most likely form of communication some days. They'd say Michelle can be too much of a people pleaser and that she struggles to admit fault with me. And I say all that to make sure you understand we are very imperfect people, but our hope is in a perfect savior, Jesus Christ. I'm almost seven years older than Michelle. I often tell people that I believe God prepared me to marry her by helping me mature during my 20s and early 30s. If we had been the same age and met in, the, in our mid-20s, Michelle would not have put, the, put out flames on me if she had seen me on fire. She would not have, she would not have been drawn to me because um, my life looked nothing like Christ. Church was a Sunday obligation, not a daily relationship. Likewise, I suspect I would have found her to be just a little bit too nice for my taste. I would have mistaken her gentle and contrite heart for someone who was a goody-goody rather than a Christ lover. But in spite of what we would call God's perfect timing for connecting us, in spite of great pre-marriage counseling we received, and in spite of being surrounded in Dallas by great role models for marriage, we would still tell you it takes hard work to make a, relationship, a marriage relationship a priority. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about marriage for a whole chapter. In verse 28, he reminds the folks in Corinth and us as well that those who marry will face trouble in life. Amen to that. Um, Paul knew that if you put two a couple of self-centered people together under one roof for an extended period of time, there were going to be some hard days. Michelle and I are no different than most of you. We brought a lifetime of baggage into our marriage in 1996. The formula for trouble that Paul talked about was there from the very beginning. No matter what you do over the course of your marriage, that baggage that you brought in is going to be unloaded. What you do with the contents will have a tremendous impact on your marriage. For us, we decided early on we were going to be cycle breakers from the family histories of separation and isolation and not following Christ. It meant looking to God's word and his people for wise counsel. What that meant practically was ordering our lives in such a way that God is first, our marriage is second, and our boys are third, and everything else falls somewhere after that. It also meant uh, that sometimes our boys are disappointed, um, frankly, even angry, because we don't put their wants and desires first. But what we've found the past two years as our oldest son has moved through the first two years of high school is that in spite of our well-made plans and years of success at making our relationship the most important one, couch time only gets harder as the kids get older. Even in July, as we celebrate our 20th anniversary, I made a point to check with Michelle to see how I'm doing cherishing her and putting her ahead of the boys. So if you hear nothing else from us tonight, hear us say that this will always be hard work for us, and it will be hard work for you. The couch... It's nothing more than a metaphor for spending time together. The, but the message the couch delivers to both, of, uh, both us and our boys is that we cherish each other above all else, and that nothing, no matter how much we love it or how important it is, will come between us. Um, so no matter where you are in marriage, I want to encourage you by, by reminding you that God knew how hard this journey was, would be, and he's anxious to help you in your marriage. Um, your marriage be one that honors him. In John 16, 33, Christ says, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When we look at our marriage, we see a story that is much more consistent than compelling. We've been consistent in not settling for less than what God desires marriage to be. So as we close, um, as we close, all we can really leave, with, leave you with is a few thoughts that might help you in that pursuit. First, we want to encourage you that it's never too late to break the cycle of your family history and your own marriage by making your own couch time each day. Second, for many of you, the first step in cycle breaking might be as simple as changing the focus of the first 15 minutes of your day when you get home. Third, the timing for our talk this year is not coincidental. This is the time of year that you are making decisions about priorities for your families. The temptation to make all those kids' activities the focal point of your home will be there, but we urge you do not let that happen. You, husband and wife, are the most important relationship in your home, and your kids will be blessed when they see that. And finally... And most importantly, above all else, abide with Christ, with others who share his vision for marriage, because absent an intimate walk with the Lord, there will be very, it will be very difficult to implement any kind of change. Thank you so much for listening.